Hello and welcome to Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered. I'm your host, Lauren Zayu. Join me as we navigate the political communications ups and downs and ins and outs of our day. We're talking to leading experts on the issues that help our country move forward for the better. My guests and I promise to give you the history, the real, and the ideal. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered. I'm your host, Lauren Zayu. Last month, the Commonwealth of Virginia held its first statewide election under the Biden administration. The night did not go well for the Virginia Democratic Party as they lost the seats for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and along with some prominent delegates. I worked for three years in Virginia politics and brought in former colleague of mine, Matt Rogers, to discuss what happened in Virginia on election night. This conversation also happened on the day of the Rittenhouse verdict, so we talk about that some as well. In addition to being a new dad and chief strategist of Politidope Incorporated, Matt is a passionate professional with close to a decade of experience, working with local, state, and federal elected officials, as well as caucuses, campaigns, and nonprofit organizations. I'm excited to welcome to Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered, Matt Rogers. Hi, how's Hi, it going? Matt. Hey, hey. How and, are you today? And, and you're Lauren Zahu now. You had a different name when we worked together. What was yes. the name? <laughs> I don't I don't I was thinking about that as I was getting on. I was like, uh, I can't I'm sorry, I don't remember. <laughs> no problem. No problem. You say Lauren Zayu, I am. Um, but if we want to kind of start with you and a bit of your background. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I um I'm currently uh um, chief of staff for Chair uh, at large, Loudoun County, uh, Phyllis Randall. Uh, I started in my politic political career in uh, 2012, working on uh, Tim Kaine's campaign. Before then, I was just a. At that time, I was a. By the way, finance intern making random five dollar calls. You know mm-hmm. that, that means uh, to random people you never heard of. Before then, I was just a, a pastor's kid living in living in Richmond. Um, really, was just enjoying finding a major changed majors a couple times uh ended up in college uh finishing with two minors because i kind of found the track that i was looking for but i was really somebody who was trying to like learn about the world because uh coming up uh i'm a, a biracial guy so my dad is my dad is black dude from west philly my mom's a, a white woman from uh western pennsylvania so uh culturally religiously like i got to see a lot in terms of culture but like religiously and morally and things like that i when i went to college i had to like really kind of come to and become you know somebody uh because really being pushed i don't know if other preachers kids when i do talk to them they say this is that they had the same kind of thing is because they have such a um a moral center that has been defined for you uh, that when you go and find yourself, you have to kind of refine a center. And so um, it kind of all informs who, who I am now. And as soon as I got into politics, I realized like I loved it. I was yeah. like in that office way more than I planned to for just my internship. I ran for uh, college Democrats uh, leadership. I was like doing their Facebook and stuff before uh, before everybody realized that you needed as a political organization or as a uh, candidate that you needed a Facebook, I was doing it for 
Ralph Northam for lieutenant governor uh, many, uh, many years ago. Yeah, when he was the underdog in that race, that was a lot of fun. Um, but now I, I now I've been a candidate myself by um, I have, you know, around 50 something thousand on a given day, Twitter followers. And uh, but but what I my background is what I I feel um, at this point in my life, um, I, I get to be more free in who I want to be in terms of political, because now having been a former candidate, somebody who has, you know, been in, been in those, that jungle, you, um, you don't feel that the, the constraints to actually try to look forward to trying to make things perfect and trying to mm. do things a certain way so that, so that you can appeal to people to certain you at a, as a candidate, you start realizing at a certain point, like not who you think you are, but how the world views you. And uh, I think there's something beautiful in that, whether you win or whether you lose. So I got into a lot of there. I'm sorry. I, I got no, 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 no problem. I was I was going to say, though. So, I mean, election night 2017, right, um, was huge for uh-huh. Virginia Democrats. It felt like a rebuke to Trumpism, um, you know, took every statewide office. 2019. Um, you know, they get a super majority in the state legislature and are able to do some cool things. I know you, um, at the time, were a chief of staff to a state senator, I believe, there. Um, and so, yeah, that legislation cycle was crazy. All of that happened. And then we end up with the 2021 um, uh, Virginia elections, which coming off the 2020 um, presidential, I, I think that the phrase that then candidate Fairfax was using was something to the effect of like Virginia is the uh, progressive yeah. match that's going to light a fire of change around the world, something like that. Um, and then we, it seemed like we were on track to do that. Uh, and then 2020 comes and, you know, there's a conversation about Virginia and the presidential kind of always being a back and forth of such of sorts. But um, the, even starting with the democratic primary, like there was a lot of, um, excitement around um, the level of diversity in the candidates, but we still ended up with a former governor for for the ticket. So can you kind of talk about what that was like being there? Yeah, I think, um, so my perspective on it, as you alluded to, I was privileged enough to, uh, for a time, uh, to work in the state Senate. And so before, before um, we won the majority, uh, in 2017, I was working actually with Charnel Herring, uh, Delegate mm. Charnel Herring. Um, and so, you know, it, it, being present to all those conversations about, oh, my gosh, we're, you know, actually Hillary Clinton won enough of these districts. So if we just on track, we win those districts, we could take the majority. And it was dismissed as kind mm. of, uh, you know, fan fiction and the the Women's March and all that was kind of okay, that's cute, but it, can that translate electorally? Right. And so being part of all those conversations, you could kind of see how it led up to the nomination of the individual that we ended up as the Democratic mm-hmm. Party of Virginia nominating because while what makes, what pushed Democrats over the top over the last few years was some good ideas and 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 more diverse for faces, not exactly ideal, but more diverse than what it had been. Mm. Um, at, at the same time, the power center 
fundamentally believes that you can only move but so fast at, at once. And um, there's a natural friction there between um, the ascending uh, electorate that Obama and others are able to ignite, the coalition that's able to be uh, ignited, and then the kind of people who are used to the, per, the kind of people we need to nominate are more like Bill Clinton, 1992, like those kind of Democrats. People think that the best of the Democratic Party is really being able to appeal to this the the sliver in the middle mm. and not alienate. The, so the entire election cycle is built around not just what happened in 2021. All of this is being the the layers to this cake are being built in 1920-21, where down in the General Assembly, serious decisions are being made. Great stuff got passed. So, uh, yeah. and I never, and I never was questioning that. There is a natural um, disinclination towards mm-hmm. going towards big transformative ideas. Uh, they, we didn't touch the tax rate. Our gubernatorial nominee campaigned on, I'm not going to repeal qualified immunity. I'm not going to repeal right to work. And so fundamentally, people who are on the left tent side of the tent yeah. fundamentally feel like, okay, well, you obviously don't feel like you need me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's what, um, I think that's the crux of, of, of what went wrong this year. Yeah. I could, I could see that. And it's interesting because I mean, one Virginia Democrats is always a, uh, a true coalition of, of different entities. And I'm even remembering, um, when was it? Was that 2019? I think it must've been 2019 that February where it felt like the state was on fire between like Northam, um, yes. accusations, uh, Lieutenant Governor sexual assault accusations. Mark Herring just went ahead and confirmed his blackface, I think. And then, like the Speaker of the House did the same thing. It just felt like this moment of like, what are what's going to happen? And so that was that was February of nineteen. And so for them to still do well in the nineteen elections, I thought was really promising. Um, and so to again turn it around to to have the diverse candidates that were. Um, originally slated, I'm thinking, you know, Jennifer Carol Foy, Jennifer McClellan. Um, uh, the other one's escaping me right now. I'm looking at them. But even... Um, uh, uh, well, uh, Lieutenant Governor Fairfax, and then you had Lee Carter. Lee Carter okay. was the candidate, yeah. And uh, opinions are had about a lot of people, and I think... They that, are. Um, opinions well, are had about a lot of people, so... Yeah. I mean, well, in, 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 in <laughs> my opinion... <laughs> if, if we're going to speak plainly, right, and why yes. not? It's my show. Uh, yes. I did yes. tell the people I was unfiltered, right? I, yes, Fairfax had no business jumping in that race. Um, He's was, like politically, and and we met uh, for the for the listeners. Yeah, we met on honest, that race. We met on that seventeen race. For him to have run this time, he's politically done. He's yeah. he's now in a situation where. Because because these are legitimately serious allegations that have Absolutely. been lodged. Individuals who've lodged allegations, not like I heard him say or mm-hmm. he said or he said, you know, I heard somebody. No, I, me personally, have had this. There, that is a criminal allegation. Mm-hmm. The authorities should look at that now. Over some time now, it 
I haven't seen him in any, I've heard about any proceedings. He could have spent some time away and, and, and like, look, all these years later, all of this, and I got hounded out and maybe come back. To run now, he's shown, uh, what do he get? I don't even know if he got 5%. Uh, no, he didn't. And it's, it's the entire, all of the allegations from as a comms person, he approached him with a level of arrogance that I would just never recommend ever. And I think running was also a sign of arrogance that like, this doesn't matter. I'm going to do my thing. Like, this isn't going to stop me versus again, very credible allegations. And so, and I mean, 2017 <laughs> was when like the Me Too movement was birthed and born. Right. And so as someone who worked with him through that entire thing, none of this came out during that, but, um, it's we saw in real time what it looks like to let these allegations ruin your life. Yeah. And he effectively took that as a personal challenge and was like that. Like, I mean, he has not handled anything well at all. And so I wasn't surprised to see I was, I was most surprised to see that he ran. I wasn't surprised to see that he did didn't do well because who, who wouldn't have seen that coming? And so I do think that. um uh, on the lieutenant governor ticket, though, there was Ala Ayala. Um, also, uh, I believe Elizabeth Guzman ran yes. along with Sean, Sean Perriman. Sam Rasool. Sam Rasool. Yeah, a lot, a lot of black and brown and, and and marginalized faces. And so to to not end up doing as well, um, even Mark Herring, I thought running for AG again, he was coming in as a third time, well, to be third time reelected, and. Um, and that didn't happen. And so in, in the belief of incumbent power, like this is uh, moving as a ticket, there appeared to be a response to, to what was going on. Um, and so I was, one question I was going to have for you though, is if there was any polling done on what voter, on what took voters to the polls um, in the primary and if that had changed by the general. Well, so the Republicans didn't get to have a primary. So, Okay. Um, they, 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 they had a convention, so they, they, they mm-hmm. set it up. So, so Glenn Youngkin could skate, just okay. talk to his crowds. And, and we find out later that he's getting very Trumpy, but we don't know in real time. And mm-hmm. so the, because Virginia has an open primary system, I don't, I don't like the idea that one party does it one way, the other party does it the other way, because what can happen then as far as I understand, is that they could then go vote for, they could have gone and voted for Terry. Now, Terry won 62% in a five-way race. So that's a decision that the party, that that the party faithful are making. And I think mm-hmm. that's a fundamental mistake that I think in 2020, the, the forces that were at play in 2020, the very like fatalistic, like, is, are we going to have a United States of America yeah. kind of moment was at play in that election. So will I go and vote for Joe? There's no question. I know people who are way far of center, who are like, mm-hmm. who are, who would never in 2016 wouldn't be caught dead, like even hanging out with somebody who liked Hillary, who went and voted for Joe Biden. Right. Glenn Youngkin, it's not the fate of the Republic. And it was hard to, to mm-hmm. drum that up. So mm-hmm. what you have to do is counterbalance that with some really ambitious power. Yes, McAuliffe would have moved the ball forward, but there's nothing that's like a home run. Like if Terry ended up being governor, was there anything that 
pe- people went to the polls on election day and said, this would change, this alone would change my life. No. Mm-hmm. It's because there's an assumption within the party faithful that slow and steady wins the race. We just, what we need to do is just not screw it up. Don't scare away Republicans. Um, what we're doing is too many times, not always, but too often is allowing that fear of turning out Republican voters turn into us telling our own voters don't vote for us. I know a lot of people who, who care a lot about qualified immunity, that that would have been a, vo- a vote in of itself. You, you can't, like, there are areas where the party did very poorly in this election. You're talking about, like, in Petersburg, the, we lost a delegate in Petersburg. That means that in these very black and brown communities. <laughs> Not Harry. I'm sorry. Was that aired? Yes. Okay. I didn't intend to say names, but we lost a delegate in. <laughs> we lost a delegate in Petersburg and I've been yeah. to Petersburg and mm-hmm. a lot of people who are listening to this show have been to Petersburg. That's where Virginia state is Virginia state mm-hmm. university. There are people who just said, I'm not turning out today. And Mm -hmm. that is a conundrum for the Democratic Party of Virginia. I think on the issues, people agree with us and we have to stop acting like that's not true. And they're going to be able to to get people scared up, people, certain people scared up. We have to get our people ready to vote. And it's not just black people. It's progressive white people. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's people who've never even cared about stuff, but were willing to go and vote for Bernie because they thought Bernie in the 2016 race was was going to change their lives. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, I think Democrats like to do this, play this game with Republicans where they say we're not that different. Mm-hmm. Um, and ironically, Republicans never hear them on that, but Democrats do and decide to stay home because we're not that different. <laughs> and so it's frustrating. Like one of the last, ad, I'm, I live in Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. So we should have targeted, McCall should have targeted his that. I live in Arlington, Virginia. This district, my house, the house district I live in went for McCulloch by 78 points. He did a TV ad in Northern Virginia during football. So he's talking about, I'm not going to be a Democratic governor or a Republican governor. To somebody who just got fired up last year on Black Lives Matter, yeah. what are you saying? Thanks for telling me I don't need to make plans on November 2nd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not me, but others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> curiosity though like as we transition into hold up what are some things you thought were missing from the conversation either in like the national media when they covered the race or just all throughout um during the election they never really pressed republicans they should the press responsible press and democrats should have never ever like a pit bull bite should have never allowed Republicans just start throwing out that word CRT and have mm. no 
the year before it was defund the police the year before that it's whatever a few years ago it was obamacare even though mm-hmm. people like the programs that that were enabled by obamacare so you they throw we have to stop letting that team throw out words that mean things to their people that does mean something they care about it it gets them fired up and they don't want it and democrats mm-hmm. are doing it and what Democrats do is say, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. We we agree that that's a horrible idea. We would never, ever teach people about race. Uh, we would never, ever, you know, uh, make sure that we're not we're not spending the bulk of our local tax dollars on militarizing our local police force like we live in, you know, Baghdad or something. Yeah. So we always shy away. And then people who would be turned on to being interested, we have to give people real real solutions. We should have talked about taxes. We should have talked about the fact that in 2007, we gave back to people who were going to inherit $5 million estates. We gave them $170 million a year, close to $200 million. That's a policy decision. Democrats agree. Republicans disagree. We were the ones who legalized weed. Now, I don't think we did it fast enough. And I don't think we did it exactly right, but we did it. And it should have been front and center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have said we were going to repeal qualified immunity. We should have said we were going to repeal right to work. Um, there were things that were, that were missing from this. And I tried to highlight it early on and, and I'm not bitter about it. I, I think um, people like candidates um, and don't like candidates. That's fine. I was trying to put out some ideas that people should, and Mr. Yunkin, uh, liked my grocery tax idea because I hadn't heard any Virginia uh, candidates talking about repealing the grocery tax. Now I had a way to pay for it, but okay, uh, he didn't say he, how he's going to pay. But but it's an idea. Mm-hmm. It's something that people like. Oh yeah, do I want to stop paying for paying tax for groceries? Sure. Right. Right. No, I mean that's that's reasonable. And so just so we're all on the same page, can you explain uh, what qualified immunity is? Qualified immunity is case law that allows um, officers or, or other other civil servants to not be sued in court if they violate somebody's civil liberties. So, for instance, if I'm if if an officer's mistaken, kicks in your door right now, you might not get you're not going to get recovery, even if you're not uh, associated. There's many cases where people. Uh, can't sue. Now it gets extended to people always think about deaths and, and uh, officer involved shootings, murders. Mm-hmm. Uh, pe- that's where it always evolves to. Um, but it fundamentally comes down to should. So the case law, because it's not in law, it basically every time that somebody brings a different kind of case to a local court uh, or federal court, and it's not federal. It's uh, I don't believe it's it's in federal law, uh, but that says that okay. Well, in this case, the officer didn't violate. So from now on, somebody can't even bring a case that looks like that. It gets thrown oh, out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like we've already we've already understood that that this is not an officer violating somebody's rights. Mm. So, so people can't be, people are not being held criminally responsible, um, for, for violating people's rights. And then they're not being, um, civilly held responsible either, like with money. 
So mm-hmm. people are basically, and, and it's not all officers because some officers truly are like good people who want to help the community. When I'm scared and I see something that, that frightens me, I want to be able to call 911, but we should all be able to equally call 911 and not feel like you're, nobody cares whether they mistreat you. Right. Especially, yeah, I mean, I, I think so much of the defund the police argument was about the stuff we call 911 for and how it ends up, you know, like it, it takes a lot to think about. Like I think about Atiana, Atiana Jefferson, who, you know, it was a wellness check mm-hmm. and she ends up, you know, killed. I think about, um, you know, just other stories that we hear to the point that even something small, like I, I had somebody parked in my parking space in my apartment. And they were like, oh, you have to call the police and have the car ticketed and then get it towed. And I was like, I'm not calling the police on somebody because in the event the cops show up and this gets escalated, like I'm, exactly. I'm not comfortable with that. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's definitely a becoming uh, a situation where people are shying away from calling the police overall because in the event they get there and act without impunity, like the bystander feels more responsibility for that than the officer does. And like, and to be honest, this written house thing and, 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 mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and just ha- certain people in society wield the ability to call the police on people and they feel comfortable calling the police right. they use it as a weapon against people. Mm-hmm. Like, you better act right. Or I'm gonna call the police because we know how they're going to react when they yep. get here. So people are always living in fear. And now we set this standard now where people can go across the states, be like, oh, I think some kind of situation is about to pop off here. I go there, get into an altercation with somebody, shoot somebody. Then people see me shooting people and then say, oh, stop. Are you the person that shot somebody? I get in, they try to take you down and you get to kill more people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just law. Like That's how the law works now. No, that's how the law works for some people. Yeah. And I think we we've seen, right, like the judge in the Rittenhouse case made it abundantly clear where he stood from the beginning. Um, Everything from the not letting the prosecutors refer to the people who Rittenhouse killed as victims um, to the way he spoke to prosecuting attorneys, the evidence he allowed and didn't allow. It was pretty clear that um, I I was I feel like his mind was made up before the trial started. and that's that's how that's going to go. But I, I think to circle back to our larger point about like moments for Democrats to capitalize on or like realizing what gets your base moving, like some of the most important and fastest organizing that the left does is around criminal justice reform. Yeah. Especially black people. Um, and so if we're not if we're going to either shy away from that or blanketly like reject it. You can't be surprised when there's a re- reaction to that on election day. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you 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 can't tell people I take you I'm taking you for granted, but run through a run through a brick wall for me because also like mm-hmm. black people are the people who are experiencing these voter suppression tactics, yeah. who are legitimately afraid. They're driving everywhere. I don't know what was going on with the yard signs this year. I, you know, I hate to make this, you know, I don't want somebody to catch this and listen to this and be like, Oh, Matt said, if we had more yard signs, we'd have won. But when you're talking about 60,000 votes in 3 million casts, like that's the kind of environment that you live in. And if you yeah. live in, in, 
if you're living in Hampton Roads, Hampton, and you drive everywhere all day and all you see is Yunkin signs, you don't see any McCullough yeah. signs, you're like, oh, they're deep out here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I might, might not want to put I might not want to put my yard sign out. I might not want to even like uh go and knock doors because yeah. it's like, oh, this Yunkin country, oh damn. <laughs> I mean, as a false church was like <laughs> driving through, you could see see the signs. And I know that there's all this tension on the strategic side about signs, right? Signs aren't boats and this, that, and the third. But I do think people, like especially in a year like this last year and a half of the pandemic, people want to feel like they're in community with others. And so if in my community, there appears to be like this visibility on a particular issue, like that, that matters. Um mm-hmm. And so people, you know, like a lot of people are, were already so-so about knocking doors or like opening the door because of COVID and things. And those signs matter because it, it implies a level of enthusiasm about votership. Um, and that is what people said to me more than anything. Like kind of in days leading up, I had some, I got some cautionary texts from some folks who were like, we feel like he's got momentum and that's concerning. Um, he did have momentum. And apparently the whole ticket did, right? Because Virginia is not a place where your lieutenant governor is on the same ticket as the governor, like in other places. Um, but I, again, I don't think anybody could see a world where you get a Glenn Youngkin governor and right. you don't get that right. lieutenant governor. But right. it's, I mean, yeah, the, the entire wave came in. So Democrats, I don't think, got any statewide office on election night. But as we're transitioning actually into I Ain't Sorry, um, I wanted to know if there's anything professionally or personally about you that um, allows you to do the work that you do and something that you're unapologetic about. Yeah, um, I think I think something that I'm unapologetic about is uh, I, I feel like, especially when you're a black person that gets involved in working in these this world, you kind of, you show up and you have like a kind of a, a, a skin on, like a snake, like mm. not to say we're being snakes, but like you don't show up as like your authentic self. And you feel when you show up, somebody could be your, your junior, somebody could be somebody mm. who literally just got at the organization. You've been at the organization for a long time and you feel people have called it recently imposter syndrome. And I think that I've over the last uh, however long time have really felt comfortable now, like understanding that the variety of my experiences, like being even when it, if it was like moving around when I was a young person or getting to go hunting, but then also literally seeing in the same week people get shot outside of where I was living back in Philadelphia afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was kind of, feeling like I needed to fit into the mainstream for a period of time in order to like, because it's easier. It's always easier to run with the the wind at your back. But what I realized and what I'm not sorry about is the fact that like, I haven't always had the same understandings that I have now. Um, I haven't always wanted to, to do the same kind of policies or, or, or work with the same kind of people, but you know, when we show up, people need to see people who are real people who they have something in common with, 
Um, mm. when, when, when we're trying to, when we're trying to do politics with people, politics is about the people. And so, you know, if we, if we show up and think everybody has to, you know, have gone to law school or have, you know, been president of your civic association in order to hold public office or whatever, then that is exactly why we have so much of our, our population, especially Democrats who don't want to go out and vote, don't feel any attachment to this. Why on a non-presidential election year where you're blanketed with mail and emails and, and text messages and TV ads, when that goes away, people yeah. don't feel any attachment to the system because it, it isn't, doesn't want to be attached to you. Right. So <laughs> that's what I'm not sorry about. Now I've said things I disagree with now. That's, you know, that's how it works. Like you move through misunderstandings and, and all that. And I think we have to explain ourselves so much more uh, oh, yeah. every time, everywhere. And I, and I'm not sorry that I'm not going to explain. I'm going mm. to say, I'm going to say, you know, things haven't worked out always how I wanted them to. And, but I, but that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. I also <laughs> think like, it sounds like you're unapologetic for growth. Like I, yeah. I, I look at a lot of particularly like white liberals, right. Who have mm-hmm. been, you know, I, I, I'm from Texas. I have a more conservative background. I've grown a lot in my like college and post college and graduate school life as mm-hmm. far as understanding these issues differently. And so, yeah, I cringe at Facebook statuses from yes. 2011 yes. <laughs> when I had a different understanding of things. Yes. And so for people who want to like, I guess rip people apart for that. I'm like, well, congratulations for being right your entire life. Um, I don't <laughs> have much more for you than that. Cause I'm not going to stop growing right. because I think it's important for us to do. And I do think that all of us should at some point look back on 10, 15 years ago and be like, Ooh, I would do that differently. In the event you've been the same your whole life. I think that's a problem. No matter what side that puts you on of things. And, and, and like, my thing is, is like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's the continuation of privilege. Cause like you said, mm-hmm. the demographic group who likes to do this the most, there are mm-hmm. others who like to do this, but this demographic group, you're trying to convince me that you've never said the N word, that you <laughs> don't listen to music. Or you never called somebody's hair nappy. You mm-hmm. never said something that was completely inappropriate that you wouldn't want printed on the front cover of New York times. no, and the fact that you haven't, that's a good thing for you. But don't mm-hmm. try to be pretend, don't try to be holier than thou and and ignore not just my growth, but like all of our growth. Like right. what people try to do for Kevin Hart. There's a difference between what's going on with Kevin Hart and what's going on with Dave Chappelle. And mm-hmm. I think that people are going in different directions. I have a different understanding. Another person saying, no, this is my understanding. Take it or leave it. Another right. person saying like, Oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to get this. I get that. Maybe I've, I've said something, but yeah. So that's what I'm not sorry about. Cause I know who I am. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and speaking of that, like what, if anything is giving you hope for the future right now? Uh, my son, to be honest. And I know that's a cheesy answer, but no, no, go for it. Yeah. I mean, he's, he just like their, their, their generation, we went to a, um, we went to a Friendsgiving event last last weekend, um, and the kids that were being brought there, they're all like these little light skinned curly hair kids, you know, with that 
because so many people are having diverse marriages and, and stuff like that. And so at a certain point, whether or not like that's the direction you go, but your kid ends up because I'm I'm black, my my wife's black, but my mom, my mom's white. So my kid is a little lighter, got curlier hair, even, you know, and it will force that next generation to confront conversations and have more allies than you and I had when we were that age. And I already see it. Like when they send me pictures at my kid's daycare, I can see they're hanging out and they're playing. I'm sure that there's some, there's still going to be some level of that that's still going to happen. But I do, I do truly believe that, it's going to, it's generation by generation. So like a generation is dying off right now and a new generation is getting started. And I think mm-hmm. that the future generations, although they're going to still have to deal with some ugly racism and ignorance, sure. I think that enough people now are starting to understand and feel empowered to speak out if they have yard signs out front. <laughs> of course. As long as you know you have a few allies in the neighborhood. And before we wrap, let's make a little news. Are you going to run again? Uh, I think people should just stay stay tuned. I don't know. Uh, I think think people want me to. I think I was was really damn good at it. Um, Okay. But but there's there's also a lot that I have to offer to, to the world. So do I run again? I'm not a fortune teller. Um, okay. but whoever, whoever would be on the other side of that, um, they would, they would be dealing with somebody who's pretty hungry and okay. pretty, uh, uh, unmoored from, from, <laughs> uh, uh, feeling like there are conventions to, to what goes on. I've been, uh, disabused of that idea. So if, okay. if that were, if that were to happen, um, it wouldn't be a lot of fun for somebody else, but I, right now I'm real. Um, I, I love what I'm doing right now. Working okay. with Chair Randall is she's she's even better than than I thought. And I had a high mm-hmm. opinion of her when she endorsed me when I was running. I was like over the moon. But now coming to work with her every day, I just I, I'm legitimately in awe when like some of the stuff that she has to deal with and she, she has to move through. I mean that's just being a black woman in America. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's so much that y'all deal with that you deal with in silence. And, um, and she's not a silent person, but, but you just have to get through, you just can't let certain things. And, and so I think, I think things happen for a reason and and where I'm at right now. Um, I don't, uh, I haven't decided that, uh, that I want to do something else. So, but I could, Okay. <laughs> Very well said. So that 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 is a good enough answer. Um, Matt, I have enjoyed you so much today. If you have yeah. any closing thoughts, I'd love to hear them, along with how people can reach you um, in the event they want to see more or hear more about your work. Yeah. Um, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Politidope, P-O-L-I-T-I-D-O-P-E. Same thing over on Instagram. Also, I have a sports podcast called Honorable Mention. I'm on... Uh, I'm actually recorded a, a episode before I got on today. It's already up. Um, so we had some people from Sports Illustrated, NBA TV and all that. So you can find me there. So, yeah, I, I'm not BSing you, Lauren. I I, uh, <laughs> I got a lot going on. And, and, you do? I, I didn't know about the sports podcast. I thought you had a political podcast. 
No, it's, a, it's, okay. it's sports. It's sports. It's, it's a lot of fun. So check it out. That is cool. You'll give me one second to wrap here. You just finished this episode of Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered. If you're looking for the show, you can find us at Unbossed, Unbothered, and Unfiltered on Facebook or Instagram. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at at Lauren Dayu on Twitter and Instagram as well. I hope to see you there. Mm-hmm.